Welcome to the audio ministry of Grove Park Baptist Church in Burlington, North Carolina. We pray you will be blessed by today's message. I invite you to take your copy of God's Word and turn to James chapter number 2. We'll test and see if Roger's watching, if he lets me know that I messed up in leading worship a while ago. I may get fired, y'all, so, uh, from worship leader. Uh, So, uh, we'll we'll let you know. James chapter 2 is our assignment this morning. Would you pray with me? Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable to you. That the words that are given here will be the words that are designed for your people. To call us and challenge us and comfort us and console us wherever we may be in our walk. That we may grow, Lord, in sanctification. And in the earnestness of our faith. For we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We come this morning to the end of our study of the epistle of James with one last message from home. And really it is one of the most important for it is a call for us To be just. To act and walk justly is something that we don't think a lot about, I'm afraid. Dietrich Bonhoeffer argues in his book, Life Together, that it is because we are always attempting to find some leverage point by which we may gain the upper hand with people so that we may place ourselves in a position of superiority that we do not act justly. Our jockeying for position then means that we are always changing how we interact with one another instead of simply acting justly. For to be just is to treat everyone the same regardless of whether they have something to offer us or not. Now I can understand why these scattered believers here in James might fail to act justly. First, as we have previously discussed, the fact that these believers are scattered means that they are a tighter community than they might otherwise be because they are trying to recreate the familiarity of their previous community, and so they are not as open to outsiders as they should be. Secondly, because they are also trying to root themselves in their new community, the temptation to draw distinctions between those who can assist them in that process and those that can't I suspect proved great. In our modern context, the drawing of distinctions at a time when the influence and power of the church is ebbing 
is likewise strong. Because the fear of losing everything is great, and so we prioritize and show partiality. When doing so puts us on shaky footing rather than the stronger place we are seeking. So why is partiality and a failure to act justly so deadly to the vitality of our personal and corporate faith? First, it places an emphasis on the wrong things. Notice with me chapter 2. Verses 1 through 4. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down at my feet, have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? How often do we show favoritism and partiality towards someone for any number of reasons, but most of the time, Reasons that are determined by someone's outward appearance. Why do we fail to remember that God does not look on the outward appearance of humanity, but on a person's heart? For you see, our creating distinctions based predominantly on outward appearances has created a culture within the church that says the outward is the most important. Go ahead and ignore the heart. While God says it is the heart that is the most important thing. It's the heart that will determine your relationship status with me. The only distinction that God draws is between those who know Him and those who don't. And even then, He is constantly showing grace to those who don't know Him as a means of causing them to see the folly of their life without Him. Somehow, we now believe, though, that if we can just fix the external things, we are good. And really, let's be honest, we only need to fix the external things for long enough to be out in public. And when we go back home, we can go back to our old and rotten ways and fall all to pieces. Beloved, there is another way to look at this. You can get all of the greatest makeup on earth. You can buy the shiniest lipstick. And you can put it on a pig. 
but it's still going to be a pig. And when we worry more about the outside than the inside, we are dooming ourselves to fruitless faith. And we fail to remember that the important thing with God is the soul. Accordingly then, when we emphasize the wrong thing, we subvert and undermine the design of God. Notice chapter 2 beginning in verse number 5. Listen, my beloved brothers. Has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man, and not the rich. Are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point, he has become guilty of all of it. For he who said do not commit adultery also said do not murder. If you do not commit adultery but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. James shows us two paths of subversion. First, we see that the God we serve does not place value on the same things we do. He runs counter to the societal norms because the values of our society are not the values of the kingdom. Society values wealth and prosperity. James says that God has chosen the poor as exemplars of faith and devotion. A reminder to us that Jesus was a poor itinerant carpenter. He was not an all-powerful conquering king when he came and dwelt among us the first time. Secondly, the kingdom places an inordinate amount of importance on love, particularly, as James says, on the love of one's neighbor. I believe it is because mutual love expressed where one is not more important than the other is the very nature of God. John tells us that God is love. And the three persons of the Trinity are bound together in love which is continuously overflowing from them. 
And that their relationship is not one of subordination, but one of equality. Such thinking is antithetical to society as we know it. To love is to hope for the best and believe in the best about someone. To love is to keep no record of wrongs. To love is to continuously try to outdo one another in our service to one another, always placing them above ourselves. To love is to allow mercy to continuously triumph over judgment, as James teaches. Our society may say, all we need is love. But God's design of love requires too much of a denial of self that our society simply cannot stomach. We prefer to choose whom to love, who deserves our love and doesn't deserve to be touched, with the love that every soul is continuously seeking. We deny it from some and give copious amounts to others instead of treating all the same. And by doing so, we place ourselves in a horrible position for we have preferred then to set ourselves up as God. Look with me at verse chapter 4, verse 11 through 12. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. Therefore, is only one lawgiver, there is only one lawgiver and judge. He who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? Beloved, when we fail to treat one another justly, when we make judgments on the basis of outward appearances and for our own personal gain, we position ourselves as a judge, and James makes clear that there is only one judge, and that is God. Beloved, how often do you stop and ask yourself whether you are positioned correctly? What do you mean? Well, think about it in these terms. Place yourself in a courtroom for a moment. Where are you sitting? Are you sitting high up on the judge's bench making determinations of fact without realizing only God has the knowledge to know everything? Are you sitting in the prosecutor's chair telling God how someone has done this or that which runs counter to our interpretation of the law and therefore should be severely punished. 
Are you sitting in the jury box? Ready to render judgment and pronounce sentence for some wrong without thinking and acting in mercy? Or are you the defense attorney begging and pleading for mercy for someone who is accused? Beloved, from Abraham pleading for Sodom and Gomorrah to Jesus asking God to forgive those who were crucifying him because they did not know what they were doing. The examples of faith teach us that our place is to never serve as prosecutor, judge, or jury. It is to plead for others, to love for others, to not draw distinctions, to not think we are God. For when we do not do those things, we are, as the text says, guilty of evil. And we place ourselves accused before the court. Far too often, you and I place ourselves in the position of God and forget that only He exists outside of time and therefore is immune to its ravages. God alone cannot change. Change happens to everyone and because of that, when we draw distinctions and show partiality in the present, we forget that we have no clue what the future may hold. Look with me at chapter number 1, verse number 9. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation. Because like a flower of the grass he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. And then in chapter 4, verse 13, we find these words. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that or as it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. Beloved, times change. I read one time that Jimmy Carter said that the worst thing about being a former president is that you're no longer a president. He said that while he was president... 
everyone would answer his phone calls. And when he became a former president, nobody wanted to talk to him. We have seen that in the last 24 hours. Last night, I kept reading reports of leaders from around the world after the election was called in our country who had already begun calling President-elect Biden. Times change. When we fail to act justly today because of arrogant partiality, we have no clue what position we may be in in the future where our arrogance has been humbled and we need someone to show us love and grace and mercy. A house built on partiality is a house built on sand. It fails to recognize that at any moment the ground underneath could change dramatically. A house built on justness with its accompanying mortar of grace and love. In other words, the firm foundation of Jesus Christ in whom all are equal. For the scripture teaches us that there is no slave or free, male or female, Jew or Gentile in Christ. But all are simply the beloved of God. House built on that is a house that never has to worry about shaky foundations. The church to which James wrote in its scattered condition was always being thrown upside down. But James shows them how to have stability in an ever changing environment. By not showing partiality. By not drawing distinctions. But by treating everyone the same. By being just. The scripture teaches us in Micah. That we are shown what is good. And what does God require of us but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with our God? It starts then. It starts with us being just. And treating all the same. It is the key to a secure foundation. So beloved, how shaky is your foundation today? Are you building a foundation on false and fleeting distinctions rather than exhibiting the justness of the God who calls each of us into his fellowship. We are thankful that God is just. We should show that thankfulness by living justly. The world 
is in complete turmoil. The world needs stability. Stability can only be found through Jesus Christ. And because of that, we as his followers must act justly in order to lead people to that saving relationship with him. We have to treat all as equal because all stand equal at the foot of the cross. Beloved, our foundations cannot at this time be found shaking. But they must be rock solid. Just like Christ we serve. Let's pray. Lord, we confess that sometimes we're partial. It's the nature of who we are. We have likes and dislikes. But Lord, at no point do our likes and dislikes succumb, overpower your call to impartiality. To acting justly. And Lord we recognize. That when we do that. It inhibits our ability to. Love and show mercy. And to walk humbly with you. So Lord. Remove from us today. Our pretentiousness. Show us fully our partialities and help us to be a more just people. For we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you enjoyed today's message. Please join us next Sunday for worship either in person at 9 or 11 a.m. at 108 Trail 1, Burlington, North Carolina, or at 11 a.m. on Facebook Live. For more information and resources on our church, please visit groveparkchurch.net. And remember, grace abounds.